All right, so here's the question. Kind of as I start out, it's participatory, okay? So I want to ask you to do this if, if, if you're able. What would happen if you tried to walk with only one foot? If you had to keep one stationary and you tried to walk with one foot, what would it be like? So those of you that are watching online, in your pajamas, awesome. Get up out of your, uh, your chair or your lounge sofa, whatever it is, and participate. If you're on the end aisles and you want to do this, okay, just step out of the aisle and try walking with one foot. And you can't hop. So now what? You're not getting up out of your aisle. You don't want to do this. You're, just, you're kind of the, come on. Thank you. If you're up in your, just get up. Try to do it. What's going to happen? And by the way, you camera people, if you want to, you know, get up out of the cameras, you can, thank you, Shifty. Well, then, by the way, 40 people have stepped up to run the cameras and do the production. Isn't that awesome? That we're, thank you for that. Hey, look, so watch. If I'm with my left foot stand, stationary, right, and I'm going to try to do this, what happens? Planted. I'm going in where? Right, I'm going counterclockwise on my right foot. I can do this because I'm a soccer player. I asked my kid. No, anyway. But look, this is what happens, right? You, you, just, you can't do it. To walk successfully, it takes two feet. Thank you for participating. You're going to remember this sermon now for the rest of your life. Doesn't matter. Just today would be good. It takes two feet. Walking together, right? To walk. Our base text for this series, this, this Kingdom Minority series, has been based from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, what does the Lord require? What does the Lord require of you? Lord is love, so what does love require? And thankfully, he gives us the answer. He says, to act justly. So a couple weeks ago, you heard Pastor RJ talk about justice. Last week, Pastor Joe, to love mercy. But what does it mean to walk humbly with your God. See, walking humbly with God means living in a close relationship with God. How? Well, it requires two feet. The foot of, the foot of prayer, meaning you, you listen to God's word, and the other foot that you speak back to him. So having a conversation, conversation with God is walking humbly with him. We have a conversation, how? By, by praying, by prayer. And really, right from the get-go, you can't pray to the Lord of the universe without being in, on some level humble, can you? I mean, right when you start to pray, you're, you're in a humble position. You're like, I am not God. You're the creator, I'm the created. And that puts you in a humble position, does it not? To speak back to God. What does the Lord require? And maybe for some of you, if you're not a believer, and maybe even if you are a believer, what does the Lord require? Sometimes we come with this attitude, man, I don't want a God that requires anything of me. Require? That sounds too demanding. I mean, I got to do this stuff? Come on, God. What, what, are you, what, what are you doing? What are you? And then, by God's grace, we're humbled. And if you read earlier of Micah chapter 6 verse, eight, uh, verse 4, it says these words, I the Lord brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I did that. When we're, we think that way, by God's grace, we wake up and, and come to our senses and say, God, you did all of this for me? You saved me from, my, from an eternity in hell? I deserve to be in hell, but you gave me heaven because of your son Jesus? Thank you. You've blessed me with life. You've given me so much. Of course 
You don't require it. I want to do it. It's a response to what you have done. Amen? Amen? It means I don't have to, but I get to. I don't have to, but I want to. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 when God gives us the requirements of the law? It's the, the requirements that are already made and created in us in our hearts, but then he puts it on stone tablets, given to Moses, the Ten Commandments. Do you remember that before he actually gives them, he says words like this, I'm the one who rescued you? from slavery. I'm the one that redeemed you. I'm the one that set you free. I'm the one that's making a covenant to bless you. He says all those things, and now it's, of course, I want to say yes. Not because I have to, but it's because of what you've done for me. It's not so much a requirement as it is a response. Does that make sense? What does the Lord require? Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. So when God mentions requirements to his people, he always does, does something miraculous first to show his love, his mercy, his grace to them and to us. And we realize, I want to do this because it's what's best for me. You say it's what's best, I want to do it. Walking humbly then is having that relationship with an awesome, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere present omniscient, all-knowing God of the universe that we can come to him in prayer. Isn't that awesome? I love our prayer moments at church. I love it. And remember, walking successfully uses both feet. Both feet. The foot of prayer that first kind of receives the word of God and the second foot that speaks back to him through the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus intercedes, as the Bible says, we receive his words from the scripture. We use both feet. And we walk humbly with God. That's my prayer, is that we can walk humbly today. We can receive the word of God. Where? From 1 Thessalonians. But before you turn to 1 Thessalonians, I want you to go to book of Acts, chapter 17. The book of Acts, would you open your Bibles with me? If you didn't bring a Bible, maybe it's on your phone. If you're at home, get out your Bible. Go to chapter 17 of the book of Acts, where we're going to hear Paul speak about, really just get the background of why he's writing this letter to the Thessalonians. It's because of the events that happened in the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning in verse 2. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. He's that Messiah means the Christ, the, the, the anointed one, the one who was promised. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. That's the good news. But other Jews were jealous. And tell me if this sounds like what's happening in our country today, okay? But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Sound familiar? They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Skip to verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue and look at, at verse 13, but when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, doing what? Agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Sadly, words like mob, riot, 
agitating the crowds. It reminds you what's happening around in our U.S. cities, doesn't it? 2,000 years ago, I mean, our world had the same problems. There were natural disasters just like these hurricanes and forest fires and earthquakes as they are now. And there are man-made disasters too. Viruses too. Nothing's changed. We've been afflicted from outside of us and we've been inflicted from inside too. We suffer. We have troubles. We have tribulation. And this is the background then to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. So why don't you turn, please, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures in verses 4 and 5. But we're going to read a few verses from his, his letter, the first chapter. 1 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 4. By the way, it's Paul's second missionary journey. He spends about three weeks in Thessalonica. And he writes, For we know, brothers loved by God, and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. You ever think about that? Why me, God? Why'd you choose me? Awesome that he did. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. This is why it's one of my favorites. Because every time we read the word of God, we know that the Holy Spirit is working. The power of the Holy Spirit working to change hearts. No matter if you're not a believer, no matter if you're a believer, it doesn't matter. With full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among, among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. For here's, here's the, the, what I'm talking about today. For you received the word. This is the word of prayer that's receiving or listening to the word. You received the word how? In much affliction. But with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth from everywhere. Verse 10. This is really Paul's encouragement then in verse 10. And so we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised. That's the truth, right? Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who will do what? Deliver us from the wrath to come. So here's what I want you to think about this morning. The word of God received in much affliction. The word of God received in affliction. What does affliction mean anyway? Well, it means trouble. It means persecution. It means suffering. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, the word of God has always come to God's people in affliction. Not so much in good times, but in affliction. Let me help remind you of that. Think about the prophet Noah. Do you remember when God said, I'm going to flood the whole, I mean, I just can't stand, right, what's going on in this world. Everybody's bad. I'm going to flood the earth. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. But what's he going to do? Choose Noah. But I will establish my covenant with you. What has he done for you? He chose you. He loved you before the foundation of the world. Think about Abraham. What affliction came to him from God's word? In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to him, go from your, he had to leave his country. He had to leave his own people. He had to leave his father's household to the land I will show you, but what's he going to do? Make you into a great nation. The affliction that came on Abraham, he's uprooted from his comfortable life. He's uprooted for probably a life of paganism and worshiping idols, and he's sending him to a place where he's going to form a people to himself. That's what God did. What about Moses? Remember Moses in the book of Exodus? Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to the Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He'll let them go. 
because of my mighty hand, he'll drive them out. What was the affliction of God's people? They were in slavery. You know how many years they were in slavery? 430 years in Egypt as slaves. I can't even imagine that. But they were. What about Jesus when he was on this earth? What affliction did he have? I mean, think about God's people in Jesus' time. Jesus, the word made flesh. I mean, they were occupied by a powerful and intimidating, a fearful foreign power. Who was it? It was Rome. What did God allow to have happened during that time? He allowed his one and only son to die for the sins of the whole world and to be raised again for our salvation. 33 A.D. Affliction then. Affliction even in the first Christian church. The book of Acts records this in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Saul, who's Saul? Paul, and he's writing this letter to the Thessalonians. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, put them in prison. The word of God has been received in affliction throughout history, has it not? Has. Think about how afflictions then would affect people. What do afflictions do? It humbles us, doesn't it? It humbles us. It causes us to realize I am weak, I am frail. I can't do this, God. I need you. Afflictions cause us to walk humbly, don't they? That brings us back to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Who, what does the Lord require? To walk humbly. Walking humbly and hearing from the word of God, that foot of prayer that we're, we're talking about is the, the foot that receives the word in affliction. So Paul's letter to the Thessalonian believers encourages them, continue to receive God's word. That's the encouragement, even in affliction. Walk humbly, hearing from him, receiving the word during these times. And when I, when I was doing some research, walking humbly with God, you know that's a phrase that's used several times in the scripture, to walk humbly. Do you remember in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, there was a man that walked humbly with God? The Bible says that he walked with God and was no more. Do you know who that was? Who was it? Enoch, yeah. Enoch walked with God. In the, that means God took him away. That he didn't even have to experience death. He was living in such a close relationship with God. I mean, don't you want to have that same kind of thing? I do. I'm like, God, let me be like Enoch. Just, just take me away so I don't have to experience death. It's used also with Noah and, and with Levi. What a privilege and a blessing. Look back with me, please. First chapter of Thessalonians in verse 6. It describes how Christians received the word. How did they receive the word? With joy. The Bible says they received it with, uh, and they became an example, didn't they, to other believers? And then lastly, it caused them to have hope and strength and patience as they, what? Wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. You see what Paul's doing? He's kind of outlining it. Just, this is a coping mechanism. Even now, as we suffer from whatever affliction we have, what do we do? First, we take account of the blessings that we do have. And that would give us joy. God, thank you. I know I'm in this pain right now, but you've done this and this and this and this. And I can't stop naming all the good things you've done. I have joy because of that. Number two, then don't forget what he has promised. You've been rescued. You've been redeemed. 
You've been saved. And guess what? Jesus is going to come again from heaven and take us to be with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah? Awesome. And because of this, we who are the kingdom minority, meaning 2 billion Christians, 7 billion in the world, 2 billion, right, ought to be examples, as, as Thessalonians say, ought to be examples so that the world can see something better, Jesus, who will come again to take us to be with him, and maybe even now, so we don't have to experience death. I'm ready. Are you ready? So as I mentioned this word affliction, okay, what comes to mind? What pops into your head? All of us have several. I get it. But what specifically? Well, if you watch the news, it's COVID-19. It's hurricanes. It's forest fires. It's the polarization among Americans and demonstrations and riots. I just heard uh, over the week, uh, the weekend that the, the U.S. debt has now surpassed the debt that we once had prior or after World War II. Crazy. The economy. I mean, I could go on and on, right? Life as we know it has changed drastically, hasn't it? COVID has impacted every single part of our life. I mean, I look out. What once was a bunch of people, right? Is now this minority, but thank God you're watching online. Thank God that we have not lost the opportunity to receive the word of God. I mean, maybe some of you, though, have been impacted a lot more than others. Maybe some of you lost somebody because of COVID. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you're quarantining because you're just fearful and to catch this. I mean, I don't know. We have to rethink how we do Thanksgiving and Christmas and Halloween and whatever it is, right? All of us have been impacted in some way. Some of you, it doesn't impact me as much, but my kids are homeschooled. They're like, there's nothing different here, but I get the pain that you have to do to stay home, right, and try to educate kids. Crazy times. And I just want you to know that our church is here. Our church is here. If you have any issues physically, if you have any issues emotionally, um, just please call the church office. We want to be here for you. Through these afflictions, we get to receive the word of God week in and week out. And I praise God for that, that that hasn't stopped. But here's what I think in terms of what the pandemic has exposed in us. Because we have sometimes what afflicts us is from the outside, like natural disasters and viruses, but sometimes it's from within too, from our own sinfulness. What's happened through these times, I guess it's been since March, February, March, right, is really what I think, it's, it's brought out the worst in us, and it's brought out the best in us. I'm speaking about our country in general. It's brought out riots and violence and looting. It's also brought out peaceful demonstrations and frontline workers and the people from this place helping other people in need. It's brought out both. But one affliction really that I want to talk about as I close today, just spend a little bit of time on today and talk about it a little bit more uh, next week, is what you might want to call an elephant in the room. An elephant in the room in, 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 in what I want to talk about is racism. Because we've been afflicted, and our country has, from ver the very beginning, about racism. And why am I talking about this? I mean, I could talk about immigration, I could talk about adultery, I could talk about addictions, domestic violence, all kinds of afflictions I could talk about. But this topic is kind of on the top of the list. Why? Well, it's brought out, it's been spotlighted by the media, hasn't it? Because of the deaths of, of black Americans 
right? And law enforcement and the justice system and all that, we are just caught up in it. Some people say that it's the original sin of our nation. Think about it that way. From the first slaves who were brought over here against their will to now these levels of discrimination that still exist, we got to talk a little bit about racism. So as I was preparing for this message, I saw what our Lutheran church put out, and I like this definition. I'm going to read it because it's pretty thorough. Racism is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular ethnic group, often with the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. Pretty thorough definition, don't you think? But yet as I read it, I got to admit that it's hard for me to wrap my head around it that still rears its ugly head. I mean, come on, why haven't we overcome this yet? We're arguing over words. You can't say all lives matter. You got to say black lives matter. You got to go this diversity class and get retrained. I mean, I can't wrap my head around it. Racism is still around. And Satan is having a field day. Don't you think? He is. I stand before you today as part of the kingdom minority, but also by race. I'm a minority too. I'm sure you notice, especially when I preach in the summer, I get really dark, right? Darker skin than you, most of you. I compete with my son who's sitting in the front row. Several times in my life, though, I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time, and people have treated me poorly. People who just wanted to be jerks, right, and make comments just to start a fight because of the color of my skin. I've been there. And I'm just telling you personally my feelings here. When I see a Confederate flag that's flying or displayed somewhere, I get a little anxious. I get a little nervous because I'm not a white American. Now, the person that's displaying it or whatever might not be racist at all, right? But just based on my experiences, I know that's how I feel. That's my perception. That's my prejudice. And I have to handle that. I have to confess to God, please help me take one person at a time. And so what do we do with this elephant in the room? If you ever heard this advice before, how do you eat an elephant? Ask some of you heard that. How do you eat an elephant? Yeah, one bite at a time. I don't know who, who, who had that quote. I, I think it was St. Francis of Assisi, but, but maybe used later too. Uh, it just seems like racism is, can be overwhelming. I mean, I, I see all this on the news media. I'm like, are we back in the 60s again? Really? I mean, we have elected the first black president how many years ago and we're still not over this? It's going to take time for our country. And what do we do in the meantime? Well, first thing is we ask the Lord to humble our hearts, to admit that I have some prejudice in me. God, I know it. It's based on my, my family. It's based on the media. It's based on the movies and music that we listen to. It's based on what was passed down. I admit it, God, and I have to humble myself. I repent of that. I repent of the things that I should have done, the good that, that I should have done or that I didn't do. That's what we do to walk humbly with God. Another way to approach this elephant in the room is to strive to understand racism from different perspectives, not just our own. And I was reading this that I thought it was a clever way to understand uh, how to pick this apart. And so uh, there's a question. What does an elephant look like to six blind people? You ever heard that one? What does an elephant look like to six blind people? To one who touches its tail, it's a rope. To one who touches a tusk, the tusk, it's a sword. To the one who touches a leg, it's a tree trunk. 
To the blind person who touches the ear, it's kind of like a flimsy fan. Kind of like my ears. My kids love to play with that. So. <laughs> to the one who touches its trunk, I know you do, don't you, Leanne? It's like a snake. To the one who runs into its side, it's like a strong wall. I mean, it's interesting to think about because they're all right from their viewpoint, right? But only together can they see the whole elephant, right, correctly. How do we combat this affliction? We look together from all viewpoints. Brothers and sisters, God didn't make many races, but just one race, the human race. Amen? Just like he didn't make many denominations, but just one church with different colors of skin on earth, different languages, ethnicities. It's amazing to me how we can create division where there doesn't need to be. I pray that we would seek to understand all viewpoints, to be a bridge, to be just like the Thessalonica church, to be examples of who Jesus is and their life and speak about him first. How's it happened for me? Well, I get to play soccer every week and I just realized that what happens is soccer is a game that brings all cultures together. And when I'm playing 5v5, 5 versus 5, I realized on my team just last Sunday night, there was a guy from Mauritania, who that country, by the way, if you look up their history, has a lot going on as it relates to racism. Member of uh, a country from, uh, a person from Iraq, from Lebanon, from India. I forgot the other country, the other country that I had. China. I mean, just so many. And, and, and not to sort of play soccer with them and hit them and say sorry and get them back up again, right? And we, and, and we keep playing and then afterwards or during the breaks we get to, to drink water and to talk. I mean, think about those countries and how radically different they are religiously, politically, culturally. And we get a chance to be together. Afflictions are going to happen all the time. They're not going to vanish from the earth. We're going to live our whole existence through it. I'm sorry to say that. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 though instructs us to walk humbly. To receive the word during afflictions. Also in good times too. But when we're really open to it is when we're suffering. You know? When there's pain. When our nation is going through so much. I pray that you can continue to receive the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit will help us endure, give strength, give peace beyond all circumstances and allow us to be examples to point to Jesus. Amen? So we walk humbly with two feet, listening to God, receiving his word, and then speaking back to him, confessing to him, agreeing with him, receiving his forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we, we give you thanks that we can receive your word. And we come from all different backgrounds and all different ways of life, all culture, God, all different cultures, and, and, and yet we're one. We're one in you because you have destroyed the barrier of sin. And you've unified us. And we give you thanks for that. And yet we still live with our old Adam. And your word tells us to take off the old self that's being corrupted daily by sin in this world. And put on the new self that you have given us. 
in holiness and righteousness, we can walk with you. So I pray that today you would just take care of those dead places in our life, the places where we just don't feel, where we've been afflicted. We might be mad at you, God. We might be frustrated. We might be all kinds of things. But yet, you give us this place in your word to hear that you love every one of us, that your shoulders are big enough for us to yell and scream. And you listen and you love. Resurrect us today, God, by the power of your word, through the Holy Spirit. Bring us out of the grave of the sin of racism and everything else that afflicts us and help us to walk in newness of life. We ask it in the name of Jesus, all God's people say, amen.